Hello and welcome to this audio version of the Universal Prior Substack, where I write about all things related to brains, minds, and their possible uses. My name is Jan, and I'll be reading some of the posts that I publish. If you like what you hear, consider checking out the blog at universalprior.substack.com and subscribe to get a notification whenever a new post is released. And now, without further ado... Puberty as Cause X Epistemic Status I wrote this to understand how a give-well type analysis feels from the inside. I expect this would require a couple hundred hours of additional research to get to the point where I'd be confident in the conclusions, but I still think the resulting analysis is interesting, so read it like you'd read the feuilleton. Any feedback is highly appreciated. Reading Guide If you're familiar with the Cause X concept, you can skip the searching for Cause X section. You can jump to conclusions and FAQ if you want my conclusions. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, you don't really have a choice. Searching for cause X. Within the effective altruism community, there is a game in the broadest sense of the word that goes like this. Imagine it's 50 years in the future. Which part of our early 21st century civilization will make people 50 years from now recoil in horror? It's a pretty weird game as winning means that you will start seeing atrocities committed everywhere, which can't be healthy. But I argue the game component stems from a dynamic where people come up with the most surprising proposals for unnoticed widespread atrocities, also called the cause X, since we don't know what they might be. Proposals include 1. Aging. With increasing age, your body tends to accumulate diseases and lose functionality, which is the cause of a lot of suffering. It would be great if your body didn't do that. Maybe one day they won't do that anymore and will loathe the fact that they once did. 2. Wild animal welfare. Imagine being a field mouse. Everyone is trying to eat you, food is scarce, and half of your pups don't make it. This situation is exacerbated by the fact that there are billions in the same situation as you. There is not a lot we can do about it at the moment. but. Perhaps there are things we can do at some point in the future, and then it will seem barbaric to let wild animals suffer. 3. Cluster headaches. Cluster headaches are bad. Really bad. Like, people call them suicide headache level bad. 1 in 1000 people are affected, and most other people don't even know how bad it is. Perhaps we'll be able to fix this and other diseases that cause a man's suffering eventually and wonder how people could ever endure this. These are bound to sound a bit outlandish. The idea of not eating meat probably also sounded very weird to the median person living a century ago. The complete list includes 97 items and, obviously, not all of them will be hits and perhaps even none of them will be. But they also don't have to be. Coming up with candidates for possible cause X's and then arguing for or against them is part of the game. In this spirit, here's my contribution. Could it be that 50 years from now we will look back and say, quote, Oh boy, people really used to be blind. How on earth did we miss that the small humans are not alright? We even put all of them together, have them form little tribes and let them fight it out, unsupervised Lord of the Flies style. It's not even their fault, their brains are just going cuckoo at that age. The small humans literally don't even have properly developed morality yet. 
puberty really was the worst. End of quote. Low points in high school. Quote, How often do I lull my seething blood to rest, for you have never seen anything so unsteady, so uncertain as this heart. Unquote. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Here is a short version. One in 25 describes high school time as the worst time in their life. 14% of students reported being victims of bullying, life satisfaction decreases steadily during adolescence and increases only during the transition to post-comprehensive education. A lot of this stuff is linked to forcing kids to go into high school where a lot of the bullying occurs. There is a disturbing seasonality in teenage suicides that has its high points immediately after school breaks. Reading anecdotes about bad experiences in high school completes the picture. Now the extended version. Let us take the possibility seriously that we find out in 50 years that high school is some kind of moral atrocity. Is there a way we can work towards a solution already today? The 80,000 hours project has a framework for tackling this type of question, the ITN framework. When thinking about which vital problem to work on, we might evaluate one impact. If we solve the problem, how good would it be? Two, tractability. If we doubled the resources dedicated to solving the problem, what fraction of the problem would we expect to solve? 3. Neglectedness. How many resources are already going towards solving this problem? There is a more informal and a more formal version of this framework, and my analysis falls somewhere in the middle. Impact. Traditionally, the impact was often measured in qualities, quality-adjusted life years. But qualities are bad because they ask people to imagine how bad certain conditions are. A better alternative is well-being, well-being adjusted life years, which derive from asking how people in the condition feel. One way to measure well-being is via life satisfaction point years, LSP, where one LSP is equivalent to increasing life satisfaction for one person by one point on a 10-point scale for a year. To illustrate, here is an excerpt from a table from Clark et al. 2018. Here embedded is a table that shows the effect on life satisfaction on a scale from 0 to 10 of certain interventions like income doubles, partnered, widowed, being a parent, physical illness, um, and the effect of, for example, income doubles is a plus 0.12. Uh, the effect of uh, one physical illness is, for example, minus 0.22. Life satisfaction is typically computed on the Likert scale from 0 to 10, which also comes with a bunch of caveats. Conveniently, there is a ton of life satisfaction data for high school time. Here is Goldbeck et al. 2007. Here embedded is a graph that shows the weighted satisfaction scores going from uh, 90 at age 11 all the way down to 60 at age 16. I like them because they have a great sample size, n equals 1274 German adolescents, they are from Germany, and they were among the first to rigorously show this effect. I don't like them because they use a weighted satisfaction score, and I have difficulty figuring out how they computed it. I think it should be between 0 and 100, and then the decrease would be minus 0.5 per year, but I'm not sure that's actually it. In other figures from that paper, the points go above 100. Herke et al. 2019 is 12 years later but has a fantastic sample size, n equals 12,564 German adolescents, and explicitly says that they scale the score between 0 and 100. 
Here embedded is another figure that shows the well-being score uh, from around 85 at grade level 5 uh, down to around 76 uh, around grade level 12. Gonzalez Carrasco et al. 2017 have a slightly smaller sample and equals 940 Spanish adolescents, but their statistic is easier to interpret. Here is another graph showing the mean life satisfaction score dropping from 9.25 uh, in the first cohort down to uh, around 8.1, 8.2 in the fifth cohort. This looks equally damning, again with a minus 0.5 change in life satisfaction per year. Aymerich et al. 2021 also find this effect, n equals 600 Spanish adolescents. Wilroth et al. 2021 find no change from age 14 to age 17, n equals 674 Mexican origin adolescents. This is consistent with the previous studies, where most of the drop occurs before age 14. Usitalo Malmivara 2014 also finds a drop in the life satisfaction between ages 12 and 15, and equals 339 Finnish adolescents. Still, the effect size looks a lot less impressive, as far as I can tell only a total change of minus 0.4 in three years. Proctor et al. 2008 do a meta-study and find that global life satisfaction tends to decline slightly with the onset and progression of adolescence and these findings are similarly supported by international research, including those from America, e.g. Soldo at Hübner 2004b, Israel, e.g. Ullman and Tatar 2001, South Korea, e.g. Park 2005, and China, e.g. Chang et al. 2003." End of quote. Okay, I'm convinced that something's going on here. But could it be that children below the age of 10 are just unreasonably super happy and the drop in life satisfaction comes from having to confront the harsh reality of the world? Could be, but these roughly 600 Finnish adolescents about to graduate from school and surveyed by the Salmela Aro et al. 2010 beg to differ. Here is embedded a graph that shows the life satisfaction on a scale from 1 to 7 increasing from the first time point with an average of 4.65 uh, to almost 4.85 at the last time point. Steinmeier et al. 2019 finds the same thing for 476 German adolescents, but their layout for data presentation is basically criminal. Petito et al. 2012 claim that 279 adolescents have lower life satisfaction than adults, but I can't access their study. When I line up all these studies like this, the story appears relatively straightforward. Life satisfaction drops by one or two points between the age of 11 and 16. Then there is a rebound from 16 to 19. However, here's an important note of caution. I'm just a guy not reading papers on the internet. I'm not at all confident about my reading of the literature, not my area of expertise at all. And Lumen 2017 says that, quote, any conclusions about the average trajectories of subjective well-being in children and adolescents are premature given the lack of studies that follow large-scale samples of children and adolescents over multiple years." End of quote. I'm not convinced by the argument they bring forward for this conclusion, but they have a PhD in this topic and I don't. So if anybody has a more careful reading on the literature, I'd be happy to hear about that. Shut up and calculate. Despite the considerable uncertainty around these numbers, I'd conservatively estimate that, on average, adolescents experience a decrease of minus 0.2 to minus 0.4 life satisfaction points relative to baseline between the ages of 11 and 16. How bad is that? 
Dolan and Metcalf 2012 show us the impact of different impairments on life satisfaction. Here embedded is a table that shows the impact on life satisfaction of different um, impairments like mobility level 2, some problems walking about, self-care level 3, unable to wash or dress, uh, anxiety level 2, moderate anxiety or depressed. And the decrease in life satisfaction here uh, varies between minus 0.03 and minus uh, 0.13. Here life satisfaction is scaled to the range between 0 and 1, so we have to multiply them by 10 to compare these values with the decrease in life satisfaction points during adolescence. This would put adolescents in the ballpark of some problems washing or dressing, moderate pain or discomfort, and unable to perform usual activities. Consistently, according to Clark et al. 2018 from the beginning of the section, adolescents fall somewhere between one physical illness per year, minus 0.22, and being widowed, minus 0.48. This describes my experience during adolescence almost perfectly, actually. All of this is pretty damning, especially considering that we are talking about the average among adolescents. At the same time, the effect on well-being and all the other studies is computed only for the subset of people that stand out for showing symptoms of distress. So every person that had an average or even excellent time during adolescence implies another person that had it proportionally worse. Joelle McGuire from the Happier Lives Institute has a great post on the impact of cash transfers on subjective well-being. He performs a careful meta-analysis and finds that a transfer of $1,000 to someone living in global poverty results in an increase of roughly 0.87 wellbees. It's probably unfair to rip this number from his report without any of the additional qualifications and caveats he provides. Still, this post is already too long as it is. In summary, I'm already way out of my intellectual comfort zone, but to put the money where my mouth is and to start a discussion, Fixing whatever makes 1.2 billion adolescents unhappy, on average, could have the same positive impact as giving 1.2 billion people living in global poverty $1,000 each, or relieving 1.2 billion people from moderate pain or discomfort. Any solution that costs less than 1.2 trillion could be considered a win. Tractability and neglectedness. This is where the analysis gets a bit hairier. All the data I presented in the previous section is purely correlational and establishes zero causation. Proctor et al. 2009, after doing a thorough meta-analysis of 141 studies of youth life satisfaction, also admit that, quote, additional research is required in order to further discover causal pathways through which personal and environmental factors affect and influence how youths perceive their lives, end of quote. If we don't know which factors contribute to the decrease in life satisfaction, we will have a difficulty evaluating tractability. So instead, let's tackle the problem one level higher. How can we identify candidate interventions for improving life satisfaction in adolescence? I came up with three categories by imagining that we had solved the problem in 50 years and worked backwards from there. When all you have is a hammer, angle of attack. While Proctor et al. 2009 are hesitant about naming causal factors, they do highlight several factors that foster positive life satisfaction, LS. Quote, Among these factors are the fundamentally positive outcomes on life satisfaction that emerge as a result of a healthy lifestyle, good physical health, exercise and participation in sports and social activities. 
Conversely, non-participation in risk-taking behavior, including substance abuse, e.g. alcohol, tobacco, and illicit drugs, violence, aggression, and sexual victimization is associated with elevated levels of life satisfaction. Similarly, environmental qualities such as living in a safe neighborhood, residing in a well-maintained home, infrequent relocation, good familial and parental relationships, and social support all engender positive view of life satisfaction." End of quote. It appears at least plausible that if we manage to provide all these things to teenagers everywhere, teenage suffering might be reduced. What can we do about it? Ensuring that adolescents collectively experience these positive factors appears rather daunting. But if certain public intellectuals are correct and life really is getting better and better, then life in the future might indeed ensure a near-perfect environment for most teenagers. In particular, I'm thinking of personalized medicine for better health and fitness, solar power taking over for a cleaner environment, a better understanding of complex systems for better communities. However, 50 years might appear relatively short without some radical exponential transformation of the world economy. Thus, the task of reaching this standard of living is probably basically equivalent to solving AI safety. Please don't hit adolescence with it. Angle of attack? When reading the summary from Proctor et al. 2009, I was surprised to find only minimal mention of one common factor from almost all anecdotal reports, bullying. One possible, though surprising, explanation for this is that, according to Lazaro Visa et al. 2019, quote, the study of bullying in relation to perceived life satisfaction has only recently begun to be addressed." End of quote. These recent studies suggest indeed what one might intuitively suppose, bullying bad. Through regression analysis, these studies report effect sizes ranging from minus 0.2, Lazaro Visa et al. 2019, via minus 0.5, Nozaki 2019, up to minus 4, Barela et al. 2021, on life satisfaction, scaled to 0 to 10. I'd love to see a meta-analysis of this to determine which of these numbers hold up, but suppose one of the larger numbers hold up. In that case, this effect on the 14% of students reported being the victims of bullying might well explain away the average decrease in life satisfaction across all adolescents. What can we do about it? This space is a little bit crowded. There are three different anti-bullying days, an anti-bullying week, the bullying prevention month, it's October, more anti-bullying charities than stars in the universe, and they appear to be doing something. According to the data by Du et al. 2019, there was a large drop in the percentage of Danish adolescents exposed to bullying in the late 90s. The authors don't know why this is, but believe it's due to raised awareness, and a more moderate decline afterwards. The slow decline since the early 2000s is also mirrored in data from the US, although the baseline is higher, around 30%. I like to believe that this is due to the Danish being just friendlier in nature, but realistically it's probably due to differences in definition. A slow but steady decline might make us hopeful that the problem will dissolve itself in 50 years. Unfortunately, statistics on cyberbullying look a bit less promising. Assuming that bullying will level off at a non-zero constant rate, we might need additional interventions beyond awareness campaigns to protect the victims of bullying. Anonymous surveillance, if implemented reliably, might provide the tools to identify destructive social dynamics before they escalate into bullying dynamics. However, maintaining anonymity when resolving these dynamics is challenging. Make brains less cuckoo. 
While the previous interventions attempt to tackle the problem at the societal level, not all of the factors leading to suffering during puberty are due to external factors. In particular, I've already alluded to the fact that the brain of adolescents has to go through a lot during puberty. Conventional wisdom, backed up by evidence, is that the gray matter of the frontal cortex containing cell bodies of neurons grows more prominent and then shrinks again during puberty. This might explain why teenagers are weird and make bad decisions, but not necessarily why they might be unhappy. The other conventional wisdom is that the amygdala, a region of the brain primarily associated with emotional processes, is also strongly affected by puberty. This is the case in rats, hamsters, and thanks to Sorrells et al. 2019, we now know that this is the case also in humans. Changes in the amygdala could totally explain why teenagers are unhappy. We also suspect differences between the left and right amygdala. We suspect that there might be differences between males and females. Beyond this, it is still exceedingly unclear how the amygdala and the limbic system in general changes during puberty, and we don't know a lot beyond this. What can we do about it? There might be pharmacological or non-obvious lifestyle interventions to soften the emotional blow of puberty without affecting any of the necessary developmental processes. Some researchers call for aging to be classified as a disease. Perhaps an analogous argument can be made for puberty. Further research on this question, particularly on the amygdala's role in puberty, could help clarify the situation and potentially even lead to interventions that alleviate suffering during adolescence. Summary and FAQ. Here are my key takeaways. Adolescence comes with substantial suffering for a large fraction of humanity. While we accept the suffering as normal and perhaps necessary, our perception might change in the coming decades or centuries. Impact. Taking published data on life satisfaction scores during adolescence seriously, solving adolescence suffering might well be cost efficient up to the cost of $1 trillion. Tractability. We do not have simple and or highly effective strategies to tackle the problem. Ideas might come from a societal angle, improving factors that alleviate adolescent suffering, group dynamics angle, reducing school bullying or cyberbullying, or individual angle, understanding the developmental factors underlying puberty. Neglectedness. Existing trends, overall improving the quality of life, and initiatives, anti-bullying, could solve adolescent suffering in due time. The basic research on the neuroscience of suffering during adolescence appears neglected and could be accelerated. Due to the considerable uncertainty in my analysis, I do not recommend any particular course of action beyond the more research desirable. FAQ. I've been bugging people for a long while with the idea that we might look back at puberty and shudder in horror. I tend to receive the same responses, so I have a frequently asked questions. Question. Is puberty really that bad? My experience wasn't that bad. Answer, my experience also wasn't that bad. I was mostly bored, but I know some people for who it was terrible and the statistics also don't look great. Question, really, really? I don't even remember seeing anything too terrible. Are people just blowing this out of proportion? Answer, a lot of this stuff is hidden in plain sight and if you don't know what to look for, you might not notice it. This might just be one of those situations where different sets of people have entirely different experiences about the world. Question. But adolescence also has good aspects. It's exciting that so many things are changing and you rediscover yourself and your relationship with the world. Answer. No, no, I'm with you. 
if we optimize away what makes us human, it's no optimization at all. But vegetarians can still have delicious food. Same-sex marriage does not subtract from more traditional models. Reducing plastic waste does not have to mean giving up on the comforts of modern life. Perhaps we can have adolescence without some of the bad stuff. Question. I think you're thinking about this from the wrong perspective. Adolescence is supposed to suck. Adolescence is like boot camp, you know? It's tough, but it makes you stronger. There are some hard lessons you just have to learn. It sucks that some people have a bad time, but perhaps that's just how it has to be. Answer. You sound like the kind of person who enjoys getting hit on the head with a baseball bat. I feel like the fictive person I'm having this conversation with is no longer arguing in good faith. Question. Okay, okay, I admit, perhaps there are some things that could be better, but this problem appears super intractable. Adolescence is such a fundamental thing. Answer, zero tractable for now. More tractable than electron suffering. I can totally imagine that in 50 years we have designed mechanisms to protect small humans from each other. And perhaps there is something we can do already today to work in that direction. This was an audio version of the Universal Prior Substack. If you enjoyed listening, consider subscribing to the newsletter to get a notification about a new post straight to your inbox. And with this, until next time!